So, Father, we've asked for your presence here, and, and I pray that the, the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. Would you help us learn? We're not going to learn from, uh, from me. We're going to be devoted to your word and ask your spirit to come strongly. Speak to us. Help us. Help us, Lord. We are helpless without you. If you don't come now in the power of your spirit and add light, illuminate your word, then we're just kidding ourselves in what, what is happening here today. So we've come to worship the living God. And you're here with us. And you're big. Infinitely big. And so we look to you for help today. In Jesus' name. We see a lot of stuff going on here in Acts chapter 3. There's a lot of movement of the Holy Spirit and miraculous work that's happening. And so we've got to devote ourselves to figure out what exactly should we expect to be happening in our lives today. Should we be expecting immediate healings? Should we be expecting these kinds of things today? And that's a great question. We have to grapple with that a little bit. Note this, that the, the pattern of Acts is always wonder that leads to an exposition or an understanding of the word. It's a wonder that points to the word. And so there are miracles happening all the time, and they always come back and say, well, what does it mean? And they get the answer to what it means from the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and from the, the word of God. They don't try to, like, guess what it means. They don't just make stuff up as they go. We can see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on them, comes with power, helps people understand the message of the risen Savior. And that points back to Joel chapter 2, and the disciples explain it, the apostles explain it to the people. Well, this is what it means. The Holy Spirit was promised, and we should have known that if we had just read the Bible. Here in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see a wonder. And in fact, our passage today is only the wonder. Uh, You're going to feel me trying to leak out and go to verses 11 through the end of the chapter. And I'm going to try to refrain myself from doing that and just stick with chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to do my best. I really will. But in 1 through 10, we have the wonder... Next week, in verses 11 and onward, we have the word explained. We could go to chapter 5, where we see Peter is healing. He gets arrested, has a dream and a vision, and he comes out and he speaks to the people all the words of this life. That is, the wonder leads to the word. It's always like that. It's never wonder, wonder, wonder. Miracle, 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 randomly for the sake of people, unexplained. That's not the pattern we have. Not the pattern we should expect to see. We should always, ex- we always expect to see the wonder pointing back to the word. By the way, that's what Jesus did too. Jesus did miracles. He strongly showed himself. Why? To point to his own identity. He is the word, and his miracles pointed to the fact that he is the word from God. And so Jesus did the exact same thing where his wonders pointed up the word that he was going to to teach. Well, let's look at verses 1 through 5, and we see the, the scene. 
So note this, that the scene has now changed. In chapters 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit has come, and there's all these miracles, and they, they heard the gospel in their own language. And now we see, just based on chapter 3, verse 1, the word now. That word is a, is a distinct point. It's like a chapter break. If you were reading a novel, you would turn the page and say, oh, new chapter. All right, we're in a new chapter. Note here, Peter and John were going up to the temple. So here's my question of the text. Maybe it's a question you have of the text. We've seen a mighty work of the Holy Spirit that you and I might refer to as revival. Right? So the Holy Spirit has come, and now they are actively, they are revived, they, are in, they want Jesus, they want the Word. So here's the question. How do you and I, what do we do with our lives when we are walking with the Spirit? And we are full of the Spirit. What does it look like to be full of the Spirit? That's a great question we should ask. Well, we see, here's uh, the very first thing. Note this, Peter and John. Let's stop there for a second. John isn't mentioned hardly at all in the rest of this story. He is superfluous to the details. Why is he mentioned? I think he's mentioned because of Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Jesus sent them out two by two to minister to people. And I think what, what we see here is that Peter and John are saying, look, what we learn from Jesus is that when we're full of the Spirit, we're going to stay in the pattern that Jesus taught us. Namely, let's go with a friend, and I apply that to you and me before we move on. Do you have a friend? who that you would say understands the scripture and loves the scripture and even walks in the, the scriptures and is a, a challenge, an accountable partner, a, a friend of yours that you stick close to in living life, that you go places to for the purpose of ministering the gospel. Peter had John in this story. Who do you have? We need friends to stay close with us. And we are sent out, not as lone rangers, to sort of randomly kick through life and, and, and try to see and observe things as we go. We are called to be friends. Your friend partnering with you with, can see things you can't see. They'll show up at the appointed time. We're going to see the appointed time in just a moment. And at a time when you're tired or you forgot or your alarm didn't go off or you don't want to do it today, your friend will show up and say, hey, it's time to pray. It's time to go. You ready for this? We need friendships, and we are sent two by two to go. And Jesus established that pattern in Mark. And here we have, even as Jesus is no longer with us physically, Peter is saying to John, okay, it's, uh, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. And that's another uh, point that I want to make here. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So not only did they establish healthy uh, friendships in ministry and partners in ministry, they also uh, established faithful patterns, routines in ministry. Hey, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter, Peter. You ready to roll? We're going to pray. Let's go. And so they are going to, here's an interesting little fact. They aren't going to the Christian center. They aren't going to the only for, for, us, for us Jesus folks place. You, you see what's happening here? They went to the temple. Here's the point. Here's the point. The early Christian devotees, the people who were devout, were not starting their own new religion. They were going to the temple where they were proclaiming to the Jewish people of the day, hey, if you guys read your Older Testament, you'll see Jesus is for you for you. 
And so all through Acts 1, all the way through 5, they, these new devotees to Jesus, these new people of God, stay in the temple as long as they can before the Jewish people finally kick them out and they have to establish their own churches and, and, and houses, house meeting places. They stayed with it because they wanted the, the people, uh, the Jewish people, to understand who their own Savior was. So they had developed regular ministry patterns. Have you done that? You know where you're going to be tomorrow at 3 o'clock? Is it going to be an hour of prayer? Now, obviously, things change, and, and actually, this hour of prayer thing is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's something that the people of the day had established, a routine of the day. It's not required of Scripture, and we're not going to require it of Scripture. But you know what? I think some of us do know our routines. You know where you're going to be tomorrow at 9 a.m. You know where you're going to be tomorrow at 7.15 p.m. The Packers play tomorrow night, Monday night football. You know where you're going to be. Come on. Isn't nothing wrong to watch a Packer game, huh? Have a great old time. I don't care. Uh, but the point is, we establish routines and things we love and care about and prioritize as a main thing. And, and, and if we prioritize ourselves to minister Jesus Christ, we are going to give ourselves to things that honor him, and we're going to know what we're doing with our days. And it was, according to verse 1 here, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Here they were on the way to minister or to, to pray and to seek the, the face of the Lord. Well, they had developed uh, faithful uh, partners in the scene of the miraculous. They have developed faithful routines, and they have now developed faithful eyes to see. Do you ever get? So, I get so locked into my quote unquote good ministry routine sometimes, or I mean, not ministry routines. They're just routines, quite frankly that I uh, don't see people to minister to. I lose track of them. This place on a Sunday morning is a great example for me that I'm going from point A to point B often, and there's a person that needs a touch. And by the way, we need to help each other. Right? It's not all up to me. It's not all up to you. It's all up to us to be aware of the needs around us. But as Peter and John are coming to the temple, there's a lame man, a man lame from birth, being carried, whom they had daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Hey, can we see this picture? There's this picture we have here showing where he uh, comes to. And so you, you note the Gentiles' courtyard. It's this huge, like, wraparound porch on the outside of the temple where everybody would come. And it's three o'clock. The devout Jewish people were coming to pray at 3 o'clock. So there is crazy traffic going into and outside. And you see where the beautiful, the gate beautiful is here. And there's all this traffic outside. And inside is the women's courtyard. That wasn't for women. It was for men and women. The idea was women could go there. And so you see, that's the main site where people were going to go through the gate beautiful. And so this a uh, lame man's friend had brought him to one of the most trafficked places in the world uh, as far as devout Jewish people goes at a time of prayer. What is it, Monday or Tuesday? I don't know, a day. So that he could ask for alms. He had some pretty good friends that were setting him up pretty well. So here he was at the gate beautiful, 
and uh, the disciples were coming in. Now, keep in mind, these apostles, they did this all the time. If you look back at verse uh, 46, you see verse 46? Day by day, entering the temple. They'd seen this guy regularly. We find out later in chapter 5 uh, that this dude uh, is, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 22, this, this guy is older than 40 years old. You know what that means? Jesus walked by him all the time, didn't heal him. Why? I don't know. I don't know why he didn't heal him. Apostles walked by him all the time, didn't heal him yet. Why? I don't know why. And you don't know why either. doesn't say why they had not yet healed him. They have a gift to heal. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But um, keep this in mind that they didn't lose track of it. I wonder if when Peter and John were getting together that morning, you know, it's 2 o'clock, it's almost the time of prayer, you know, hey, we're going to go, pick you up in 45 minutes. Hey, if that guy is there today, the lame, you know, you know the one. And we, if we look down at the end of chapter 4, well, let's just look at uh, chapter 3, verse 10. See verse 10 there? And uh, all the people, verse 9, recognized him, the lame man. Everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew who he was. Peter and John knew who he was. It was very clear who he was. Day after day, he was there uh, asking for alms. So I wonder if they had gotten together a little bit earlier that morning. Hey, if that guy's there today, today's the day. Today's the day. Peter, you're going to take the lead? Okay. I'm, I'll just be in the background of this story. Let's, let's, let's heal this guy today. Let's see what, what will happen if we reach out to him. But the point is, in their ministry routines, they didn't lose an eye to see people who are in need. Do you? In your routine of getting here in the morning, I know there's babies and there's baby carriers and there's stuff and there's there's a lot going on and there's busyness and there's, did you take your medicine? And there's, you know, I didn't eat. I feel a little funny. And there's all sorts of, we, there's all sorts of stuff, a million things going on in your world when you come to church. Don't lose your eyes to see people when you're coming to church because the needs are everywhere. And you could say, I raise my hand and say, oh, well, I'm the one in need. But Peter and John were at the place where they were saying, you know, when I go to church, let me have the eyes to see people in need. And that's exactly what we learn from this narrative. When we come to church on Sunday morning, let's look and see who has the need. And let's not lose track of ministering to people who fall into that, that category. Note this. As we kind of move through these next verses, a man lame from birth was being carried. This man had no strength in his feet and ankles. He had to be carried by his friends, and apparently they were pretty good friends. They laid him there daily at the temple, uh, at this gate that we just talked about, and seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And by the way, the reason I say don't lose your ministry eyes, don't forget to see people. It's because in verses uh, 3 and 4 and 5, words for seeing, beholding, staring, and gazing are everywhere. There's five of them in these three verses. Uh, Seeing Peter and John. Peter directed his gaze. That word directed his gaze there, that's the same word that uh, is used when they looked at Jesus when he ascended into heaven. They stared. 
They, they were really trying to look and see what Jesus was up to there. And so they, they, Peter directed his gaze at this man, as did John. Look at us, he said, and he fixed his attention. Another statement about seeing people, eye contact, looking. And this man expecting to receive something from them. And that's where the last thing we learn. The man expected that he would get something to get him through the day. And in our world today, that's what's expected of the church. Give something from your plenty to underprivileged people to help them live through another day. That's the expectation. This man went to the gate beautiful because he expected the devout people of God to help him out and make him through. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad place for ministry to start. We see in 2 Peter that Jesus is going to come back someday, and in this generation, everybody thinks it's taking too long. Why does it take so long for him to come back? And the explanation Peter, this guy in this story, gives is he's not slow He is extending grace so that more people can hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we help needy people get through another day, we're giving them the opportunity to make it to Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday so that by God's grace they might hear the hope of Jesus Christ. Helping people in need is a great place for churches to start, but listen, my friend, it's a lousy place to end. We're going to see that as we walk through this story. You have to start there. You can't end there. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing to see that he had this expectation, and uh, uh, the scene of the miraculous is set for us. It's an everyday scene. These people are full of the Holy Spirit. They're showing us what it looks like to live in in a time of revival with the Holy Spirit upon them. They're doing ministry things together. They're praying, and they're not losing their ministry eyes as they walk into the temple, verse 6. But Peter said, that, that word there doesn't say, and Peter said. In other words, a lame man who has a need, I'm about to disappoint you. I expected that you would give me something. And Peter said, uh, I have no silver or gold. Now, uh, Peter had given his silver. He had silver and gold, and he gave it to the treasury of the church. And the, the concept is, it appears that that treasury was for the people of the church and not for, for everybody, not, not just for giving out, not just for doling out kind of uh, at will, okay? Uh, note this, that the, the miracles and the wonders that are done throughout the book of Acts, almost exclusively when somebody gets healed, it's somebody from outside the church, not somebody inside the church, usually. And in this case, uh, that is the case. There's, there's sick people in the church all over the place in the book of Acts and in all of the letters. Whether it's Paul's thorn in the flesh, whether it's uh, friends of Paul that, that were sick. And so don't think of the early church like, oh, they walked around and Peter was healing everybody in the church. There was no sickness or illness. Not at all. There was illness and sickness all over the church. These miraculous healings that we see were done outside the church to prove the identity. We're going to look at that too in just a minute. 
of, of who Jesus is, or excuse me, who the apostles were. And so in Acts chapter 3, verse 5, uh, verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but I do have something. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, he didn't say in the name of Peter, the name of the early Christian church, the name of this new affiliation of people, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are going to find that everything that Peter and these early believers do is in the name of Jesus Christ. How many times the word name appears in these first five or six chapters in Acts? It is incredible. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 3, 6, here, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We want you to know those that are examining this miracle. Acts 3, 16, this miracle was done by faith in his Acts 4.10, this man has been made whole in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, here is a, a really important verse as the Jewish authorities are coming and saying, listen, we're going to stay in our old way of thinking. We're going to stick to the Older Testament. We've rejected Jesus, and we're going to keep operating a religious temple here. And Peter stands up in the midst of that and Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name given under heaven whereby you must be saved. He's saying there's no option, Jewish friends, to keep doing what you used to be doing. Jesus fulfilled all of the, prof all of the prophecies. You have to trust him now. You can't keep operating the old way since Jesus has come. You've got to go to him. There's one name given under heaven whereby you must be saved. Then the people so annoyed. The leaders in the temple were so annoyed by this early Christian activity, and they come to him and says, look, we will stop bothering you. We will let you go if you will just stop speaking and teaching at all in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.18. Just stop talking about him. It is so important that we start by ministering to the people of Sheboygan, by meeting needs, by getting them through to the next day. It is equally important that we don't stop there because the ministry that God has given you and me is in the name of Jesus Christ. The world around us is going to come to us and, and slap our hands away and say, we don't want the Christian ministry to be about the name of Jesus. We want you to give us stuff to get us through the day. Let that be the nature. And some churches are going to call themselves to that mission. It's a great place to start. Love people. Help them get through the day. But realize this.
Peter comes to the place where he says, well, uh, I don't have silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Note Jesus Christ, uh, his earthly name, Jesus, God saves, Christ. The word Christ there is anointed one. He's Messiah, only Messiah, fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament, Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He identifies him as a regular guy. You know where you're from. I was born in Fond du Lac, and my whole family is actually from Sheboygan County. We can trace ourselves back. I would be John of Sheboygan, maybe John of Fond du Lac. Remember when they uh, called him Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth is a pit. It's like, I'm going to say, Gary, Indiana. (laughs) Have you been through that? Does it smell like that all the time? Do they come out and their clothes smell like that and they, they don't even know it? They're one of those guys? Oh, man, can anything good? Okay, I know I'm online right now. I love you, people. Uh, okay, anyway, I digress. And so here, here he says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is the name. What is the fullness of that? This is the unique person of Jesus. There's none other. We're, we're living our lives and offering to the people of Sheboygan Jesus, his unique person, his identity, the reality that he is God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is fully God, fully man. He, he, uh, we, he identifies, the name identifies his character, love and joy and peace and patience that you and I should have and live out in the way we live our lives. His authority, everything bows to the lordship of Jesus. There's none other. And his doctrine. What the New Testament teaches us about Jesus. We don't have the luxury or get the opportunity or or no one has the opportunity to say, yeah, I like parts of Jesus. I like parts of his authority. I like parts of his doctrine. But there are certain, no, no. Ministry, your ministry is a ministry of the name of Jesus Christ, which means him in all of his glory and all of his authority and all of his uniqueness and all of his exclusivity and all of his love and all of his doctrine we preach Jesus and when we minister to people out in the streets yes start with meeting their needs and helping them get through today but move quickly to a position where you say I am doing this in the name of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only hope we have. This miracle, note, was immediate. While the man held the hand of Peter, he is healed by the power of God. Note that it was complete. And so in verse 7 now, uh, he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles, evidently it was his feet and ankles where the trouble was, And so apparently both feet and apparently both ankles, because it's in the plural here, they were immediately made strong. Later, it said that he has perfect health, whole health, as a result of this. And and leaping, leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Now, I'm 40, and we see here uh, in... uh, a little bit later, in, in 422, if you want to look down to 422, this man was 40-plus years old. If I get up after sitting on the ground for five minutes 
you know, I need a minute. Something fell asleep, right? And I got a little bit of a crick in the walk, you know, and I got to stretch something out, and I got to get myself together, and I got to regain my balance, and I'm, you know, now I'm way up here. I'm feeling a little dizzy, so I got to just take a moment. This guy jumps up, and, and the miracle is done, and his feet are whole, and his ankles are strong, and he's jumping, and he's prancing, and he's, he's praising God. Verse 7, verse 8, excuse me. It's got real weird structure to the verse. Long story short, Luke, who's writing this, is not a weird structure guy. He's, he's a detailed guy who writes with specificity and accuracy. And so the, the wording of chapter, uh, verse 8, you're like, why is it weird? And here's why it's weird, because he's, he's quoting Isaiah 35, verse 8. So he doesn't want anybody there that day to miss the fact that this lame man healed at the gate beautiful today is a direct fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah, and the lame will jump like a deer. And you'll see it because of the ministry and work and person of Jesus Christ. Fulfilled prophecy that they saw that day. And he wants them to not, to not miss it. Well, we have some, some big questions. Big questions. Why this man? We've said this man was passed by Jesus for, 40, for quite a while. We've said that this man was passed at the temple day by day by the apostles. we said that this man has, uh, and we will say right now, this man, since his complete healing, he's died. So it was immediate and full and temporary. This man has now since died. It was a sign to show the world that the apostles have a special authority from Jesus to speak of Jesus and to make him known. So we come to this question then. Again, we're asking the question, why this man? And I think the best answer is found in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Why was the, this man born blind? In John chapter 9. And Jesus said, neither his mother nor, his, nor he sinned. His parents didn't sin. He didn't sin. He was born blind so that at this moment in time, years, suffering years of trouble and blindness, the power can be displayed. The power of God could be displayed in him. The works of God might be displayed in him. And that's the answer to why this man. It's a strategic place. Think about it. We've already talked about uh, the timing of this where the most people would see it, and the most people would have to consider the greatness of Jesus Christ, and the most people would be impacted by the teaching that's to come. Who can heal today? I'm going to answer that question. I want you to hear the explanation. Nobody and everybody. There are no divine healers today that have the gift of apostleship and have the, the sign of God on their life. None. In fact, the last days will be characterized by false teachers, and the Bible clearly delineates that there is going to be people who show up and claim to be from God, and they prove it by doing wonders like this man did in Acts chapter 3. Don't go. Don't be so... Don't be, don't be real impressed 
by people who seem to have power because we have a fulfilled, we have a complete word of God that teaches us who Jesus is. Spend time in the word. Spend time studying Jesus. Spend time considering who he is. We have a complete word of God. And so no, there are no divine healers today, save one, the deity himself. God heals. God heals today. God has the power to heal immediately like this man was healed. Will he do it in your case? I don't know. But this I know, devoting yourself to asking God to help you is righteous and good. Asking God to heal you is right. Giving God glory when he does heal you is good and right. God heals today. And lastly, I want you to see that as the Holy Spirit lives in people who know Jesus Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift to minister to this world. Silver and gold you might have, you might have it, but your ministry to people in the name of Jesus Christ is, is for their eternal good, and it's better than a temporary healing. And you and I need to see that you and I are called to minister in the name of Jesus Christ today, and that's a better gift to this world even than healing. We don't say that lightly. My friend, I know there are people in this room that are waiting for healing. We're crying out with you. Can I remind you, God has given a, uh, a way for you to appeal with the church. That it's not just going home and praying, although that's beautiful and beneficial. It's you coming to the elders of the church and saying, James chapter 5, uh, would you come and pray over me and ask that the Lord would heal me? And so again, there's no divine healers. There is divine healing, and all of us have a gift that supernaturally has been given to, to us today to minister to the world uh, around us. Your position is to powerfully witness, Acts 1.8, powerfully witness the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth everywhere you go. That's your ministry. This is your highest identity. You are not first and foremost son or daughter. You are not first and foremost husband or wife. You are not first and foremost cancer patient or caregiver. You are not first and foremost old or young. You are not first and foremost new parent or empty nester. You are not first and foremost one who is limited by physical trouble. You are first and foremost when you leave this place on mission to minister in the name of Jesus Christ by the working of your spiritual gift in this world to announce his fame, to be a bold testifier that Jesus himself, you've seen it with your eyes, in your heart, you know it, Jesus has risen from the dead. And as we go and minister, we are ministering in his name. In his name. Your treasure, this kingdom of his, this ministry that God has called you to in the name of Jesus Christ, his value is infinite. You count him more valuable than any money you've got. He's king. 
His value is infinite, but the world around us does not see him as valuable. And the world around us says, don't give me your Jesus. Give me a few dollars to get me through the day. And again, you start there. But friends, do not let what the world says about Jesus make you ashamed to offer him as your highest value and your highest treasure. Don't get sucked into this life of, I don't see ministry opportunities because I just throw the five bucks in. I just give. I just kind of think it's just, that's what we do. That's what the church, the people outside the church told me that this is what you should do. Be nice to people. Give to people. And the people now inside the church are saying, no, just be nice to people. Just be. You don't need the Holy Spirit from that for that. And so when you minister like that and you start there, Please start there. Run to the name of Jesus Christ. Treasure him above all other possessions. Fight the tendency in your heart to feel fine about just being nice to people. Look at the response in verses 8 through 10. There's an incredible response. The response, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them and walking and leaping and praising God. This guy is a little, uh, I mean, think about it. First of all, he has been lame his whole life. He's 40 plus years old. He cannot, he's now got perfect health and apparently like super human thighs and calves and ankles. He can now bust a move and he is busting a move there at the beautiful gate and he goes into the temple with them he sort of like affixes he gloms on to peter and what else would he do peter has just healed him in the name of jesus christ but we see here in chapters three and four and five the dude i mean peter and john are like on trial before the court official they're like six huge important groups of people that are saying peter and john what is up with you what are you doing here and this guy is like it's like, it's like a five-year-old with their, their arms lapped, locked around your legs, you know, when you're trying to shop at Piggly Wiggly or something like that. You ever had that, moms? That's what this guy is. He's like, I'm not leaving their side. If you see, next week we're going to open up with verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, he's clinging to them. Later on, we're going to see he's got this awkward, like they are, they are grilling Peter and John, and this guy's like standing right next to him, And you're like, what? Dude. Give me some space here. I'm on trial. You know, I'm trying, to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to talk to these guys. This guy is stoked, and he responds with glory for God. In verse 8, it's an individual leaping and standing and walking, and we already said fulfilled prophecy. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. That's why they chose to heal this guy. All the people knew who he was. There was glory in it for Jesus Christ, identifying the apostles as from him. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate at the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And when you minister in the name of Jesus Christ, people will be filled with wonder and and amazement. Okay, we're not apostles. We're not apostles. You're not an apostle. You don't have a gift from God to heal people. So what does this passage mean for you and me? Let's, let's hit four 
four application points and we're done, right? Number one, treasure Christ above everything. We already talked about it. He is your greatest possession. Don't let anything come in that you in any way, shape, or form value more than him. Right now, take a moment and think about what you treasure in your life, what you hold to, what you value, what's most important to you. And if it's not Jesus Christ, get help this week in prayer. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also for knowing Jesus and treasuring him. But if you come to the end of your life, all of us will come to the end of our life. And if you come to the end of your life penniless, but you have devoted yourself to God and knowing him through your word, set your affections on him and knowing him, and you've been seeking him with all of your heart and mind and soul, and you know for sure that's the inheritance you want, you can't take any pennies with you. Value Jesus more. Number two, healing is from God. Healers are not. We live in the last days, and specifically Jesus and the apostles teach us in the last days, false teachers will come with signs and wonders. Beware. Beware. Don't go seeking out. Don't go looking for healing that can come in some alternative way that doesn't glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not wrong. In fact, I, I say to you, go to the Lord, cry out in prayer. In some cases, appeal to the elders of the church to come. Please go to the doctor. Please go to the doctor. God has given us doctors who can understand and help us. He's the healer. He often uses doctors and nurses to help us go to the doctor. All right? Number three. Your spiritual gift used to boldly bear witness to Jesus Christ accomplishes something greater than physical healing. Now let me just put a parenthesis there. I know that I'm talking to a room of people waiting for physical healing. I'm not saying this lightly. I'm saying this with a broken, broken heart. This life is hard. And there is physical infirmity and brokenness and bodies wearing out. And it hurts. And we're waiting. And we long for wholeness, right? But I'm telling you, my friends, your spiritual gift accomplishes something eternal, not temporary. It accomplishes something of God, not temporary. And it's greater to tell a child and see them come to faith and grow in grace than it is to be physically whole. All of us want both, right? I think this man comes to faith. We can look at verse 8. He praises God. We can look at verse 8 again. He joins them. We can look at verse 11. He clings to them. We can look at verse 16. He refers to faith in the name of Jesus. I think this man comes to faith after he is healed. But here's the point. Don't hide the name of Jesus Christ as the point, the center, the aim of your life just because the world around you doesn't like it or doesn't esteem him or is ashamed of him or thinks that he's not as valuable as five bucks, don't hide the person of Jesus Christ as the reason you minister and what you and who you are called to. 
you treasure him with all of your heart. When you walk into a typical situation, like, like a prayer gathering at the temple or in this place on a Sunday morning, be looking for people that God might call you to minister to. You have witnessed and seen the effect of the person of Jesus Christ risen from the dead in your life, and you are called to be a bold, strong testifier of him. Lastly, expect persecution. Now, this is a rough way to end. And if you're like me, you'd be like, why? We haven't been talking about persecution at all. This seems like a ridiculous place to end. Here's why we say that. Number one, this story of this, this okay, we talked about wonders that point to word. This wonder pointing to the word leads to the first persecution. The whole purpose for this miracle put here in Acts chapter 3 is to get us ready to see that they, begun, they, got, they begin to get kicked out of the temple and they begin to have friction with the leaders in the temple. So the point of this miracle is to prepare Theophilus, chapter 1, verse 1, to understand where persecution comes from. So that's why I end with this point. Okay? Why do we include this? This wonder points to Peter's second sermon, which he's about to give. Uh, he went to jail. He went and got called on the carpet for ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. They told him, we'll let you keep going if you just stop talking about Jesus. Listen, my friends, this is where our world is going. We'll let you keep being a church and call yourself Jesus followers if you just relieve suffering our way and stop talking about the name of Jesus. And you and I are called to say, no deal, no deal. Peter asked this question of these people later. We'll let you decide who we should listen to, man or God. We'll let you decide. But uh, I'm telling you right now, you let me go from this place, I'm going out to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. When you go out from this place, you are going out to minister, not to do good things, not to be nicer, not to be kinder, not to, not to try to, to be a little bit better today. You are going out in the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness of the risen Jesus Christ and to minister to Sheboygan Connor in his name. That's what you're called to do. Expect persecution. It's going to come. They're going to tell you, we're going to slap our hands at first and say, couldn't you just be, just, just give me the, the easy thing. Just get me through. Yep, we'll get you through. But we've got to tell you, it's about the person and work of Jesus. Bring misunderstanding, bring disappointment, bring persecution, bring arrest, bring death. Okay, but this you must know. Our highest treasure is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and we offer Sheboygan County you healing in his name. Let's stand and be dismissed. Lord, help us to love Jesus and esteem him above everything. Help us not to be jerks in boldness because that is the tendency. We could go out from this message and hear talk about Jesus everywhere without, even if the power of the Spirit's not opening opportunities. 
many people will reject Jesus, and we are called to love them. Help us love. But help us never come to the place where we define love only as the world around us tells us to define it. But instead, to offer Jesus, him crucified and risen the third day, as the only name under heaven given among men, whereby our friends will be glad if they are saved. We love you today, Lord. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name.